Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Welcome back to the Agents of Innovation podcast. I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and we are here at one of my favorite places in the world, not just Antigua, Guatemala, but also Antigua Cigars. So as many of you know me, I I am uh, really passionate about Guatemala. I've spent a lot of time here the last two years. And when I'm in Antigua, I spent a lot of time right here at Antigua Cigars with these two fine people, Uve and Lynn, who are the co-owners of Antigua Cigar. Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast. Well, thank you for having us. Well, it's, thank you. it's great to finally have you because I've had so many great conversations with you over the last two years. I've brought many friends here. Got to give a shout out to our friend Bob Rubin yes. back yes. in Florida. <laughs> Bob, uh, Bob and I actually came here for the first time. I think it was April 2021 when he was visiting me and I walked in these doors. Uh, but uh, you guys just, this, it, this is what it looks like. It feels like a living room in here. Thank you. We're very happy to have you and Bob and all your friends. Well, thank you. And, you know, I am actually smoking today one of the cigars that's your branded cigar, the Antigua yes. Cigars, and yes. so is Lynn. And what are you smoking, Uwe? Well, I'm smoking a Rocky Patel That's great. Edge. Well, Rocky Patel Edge. Rocky Patel is great. He's got a home in Florida. I once met him, actually, right before I came to Guatemala. Pretty cool guy. Um, but anyway, so Lynn and Uwe, your journey is amazing. And I always tell you every time I'm here... I wish I would have recorded every conversation I ever had with you because I could write a book. So we will only have about an hour today. <laughs> and so, but I have many hours uh, of, of listening to all their stories. But Uwe is originally from Germany. Lynn is originally from Quebec in, in Canada. And they met, though, in Canada. Yeah. So let's go back. Uh, Uwe, uh, at, a, at what time in your life did you move from Germany to Canada? Well, um, as a young guy, I always was very interested in geography and I, I always wanted to see the world. And I grew up in a very small town north of Hamburg. And uh, so um, that thought always stuck with me and it never went away. And uh, I went through the course of apprentice and engineer and uh, went to engineering school. By the way, I just want to say that we are in a real working cigar lounge. So what I what I think we're going to do here, because we didn't want to interrupt the business of Antigua Cigars today, is once in a while you might see what just happened there if you're watching on YouTube. By the way, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, you probably have no idea what just happened. Um, but, uh, but if you're listening and you want to watch on YouTube, just go to Agents of Innovation. Just go to YouTube and type in Agents of Innovation Podcast. You'll find us. Uh, this is episode 122. And um, anyway, uh, and if you are watching on YouTube, <laughs> what you'll see is that Lynn just got up out of the chair over here because, uh, you know, on the other side of the door, people are trying to buy cigars. And we don't want to keep them for buying cigars as we're smoking cigars. So, Uwe, uh, for, for our listeners and viewers, go ahead. I'm sorry uh, to interrupt you. That is fine. That is fine. So, at the age of 24, I finally uh, um, decided it's time to go. And with the support of my family, uh, I sold all my belongings and I just bought a plane ticket to America. But... <laughs> 
I ended up in Canada. So which is a part of America, <laughs> just like here Guatemala is a part of America. And um, Wait, when you say you bought a ticket to America, yeah. I know this United States is one part of the American continent, yeah. but um, where yeah. was your ticket actually to? Well, um, it, it was to Toronto, to Canada. Because as we started out, we didn't have that much money, my buddy and I, and so we decided, well, we go to the American embassy and see in Hamburg, or the, it's actually a consulate, um, if we can get some kind of working papers or something and hang around for a while and discover the country. And those were all our ideas. And But we found out that was not that easy in 1974. Uh, the United States had a lot of people coming back and uh, unemployment was there and uh, from the Vietnam War into that time. And they decided they would give us a six-month visitor visa. But because our funds were very little, we said, well, we got to work. And so we went outside uh, in Hamburg and then we saw the Canadian flag. Hey, that that is North America too. So we went to the embassy there or the consulate and did our same spiel. We would like to go and we like to see. And they said, oh yeah, you can become a, a landed immigrant. You have to fill out the forms and then you go through the process and then you can work um, there. If you, I said, I don't really want to emigrate at this point. I just wanted to see the world a little bit. And they said, well, you don't have to stay if you don't want to, but you have the opportunity. So that's what we did, and we applied. And about four months later, we had an interview, and we got the go-ahead to go, and so we bought the ticket for Toronto. So you went to Toronto. Where did life take you from Toronto? And uh, it sounds like you didn't just stay for six months. <laughs> <laughs> that's, very, that's correct. That's correct. The, the intention was to stay for a while, and... And uh, we, we were in Toronto for a while, and, and uh, then kind of uh, funds went low, and we had to find a job, and we worked at a hockey camp. Uh, my buddy was a professional cook, and so we took the job there for two months and, uh, and had to do all the cooking for the boys that did the summer camp. And um, Still in Toronto? It was in outside Toronto. It was actually the... Uh, second largest hockey camp after Bobby Orr's in, in the States. And anyways, so we, throughout the time, we met the coaches, and one of the coaches was professional from the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he came one late in the season and said, hey, what you guys are doing after you're finished here? And we said, wow, we want to see the country. He said, listen, I was uh, traded to the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, I Vancouver, yep, Vancouver, other side of the country, and beautiful, uh, beautiful city. And he, and he said, uh, "Listen, my car gets shipped, and I fly. And with a car, we have two seat tickets. Here they are. You get the seat tickets, enjoy them, travel free to Vancouver by rail. <laughs> by rail. Oh wow! Yeah, four days, three nights, and that's what we did." And we met him over there and stuff. And, and then we hung out in Vancouver for a while. And, and then, uh, well, funds went low again. 
where do we go? And we always liked horses. And people told us, go to Alberta. Alberta is a ranch country. They have all the horses in the ranches. You can get a job. So we went to Calgary. And uh, that took us to, to the racetrack. And we worked at the racetrack for a while. Made some money again. Stayed the winter. Looked after the horses at the stable. And uh, there was also a riding riding facility and arena and there was a lot of young girls riding and we had some connections and my connections became my first wife <laughs> and that made me stay in Calgary. Well that's a wonderful story so Calgary and this is this is for those of us especially for people like me in the US I've never been to Calgary but I know not far from there is Banff National Park. The Rocky Mountains. Yeah, so it's beautiful. Maybe, let, let me, uh, you know, I hate to just, if I have to make a comparison, would it be something like between kind of Texas and Colorado? Something kind uh, of? Yes, definitely. There's a lot of, uh, like, Calgary's at the same height like Denver. Mm. And uh, and there's a lot of connection between so more that. Like that. Very yeah. similar, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, seen, I've seen some pictures. Beautiful country out yeah. there. Uh, so that's great. So what kind of work uh, that you, did you get into for, for most of your career, most of your life? Well, over the time, there was all kinds of things. And um, being, being, I think I could say, self-motivated, I, um, I found uh, a job relatively fast. And, but I didn't get into engineering. Like I, I studied mechanical engineering. And um, so I got into a few other things. We we did, and that's not another customer. Yeah, another customer. <laughs> As you can see, it's it's actually pretty early here at Antigua Cigars, <laughs> but we're still getting customers in here. Yes, and, yes, yes. Uh, anyway, it's a great place. But go ahead. And so um, then, I I was able to get a job where in sales and I did I did relatively well I saved some money and there was a small company for sale and of course I wanted to be my own boss so I bought the little company for $40,000 in uh, 1980 and um, I had that one until 88 and uh, then I sold the company and I, I got into the the closing business I bought a clothing company a small one work close uh, we manufactured mainly work clothes, like coveralls for the oil industry and and uh, kitchenware and stuff like that. And uh, then other people were interested, and we got some financial partners, and the company grew to a fairly sizable uh, business. Mm, and we we had two factories going, and I liked the engineering part of it. I was setting up the production and the facilities and everything. And then in uh, 2000, things happened. Over the time, I was divorced. I had three. I have three wonderful sons that are still living in Canada and have their families there, and th they are now grown up in their 40s. <laughs> and and um, so it was time again that I wanted to see other parts of the world again because boys were on their own. I was on my own, and I opened up a consultant firm for improvement of engineering of the production facilities in the garment industry. And through that, I was in, um, in the association, 
and uh, there was a governing body uh, that drew people from every province. And one day uh, in 99, the meeting was back in Toronto, and it took me to Toronto. And there was a representation of every province. And who walked into the room is my present lovely wife, Lynn. Hi. So, <laughs> hello, Lynn. So, Lynn, let's, okay, before we go back to that moment where you met, let's get Lynn's background, her story. She grew up uh, in Quebec, a province of Canada. What particular city? Quebec City. Quebec City. Beautiful city. Yes. I've only been there for a half a day. Oh, God. I was on a cruise yes. in 2019, and we started the cruise in Montreal, uh -huh. and it went to Quebec City, it went to Prince Edward Island, it went um, Halifax, yeah. I think Port Charlotte, is that the name of the city? Something could, Charlotte. Could be. Could yeah, be. so that's it went around there, and then it ended up in Bar Harbor, Maine, and we got off in Boston. Yeah. Let me tell you, I think it was on... Um, Princess? Holland, America, maybe? Yeah, could be, yeah. could be, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the best cruises, especially in terms of the port experience. Yes, yes. And I got—I'd never been to all of those parts of Canada. I've been to Toronto. I've been to Vancouver. I've even been to Windsor on the other yeah. side of Detroit. Yeah. But never had been been to Niagara Falls. Uh, but all those places, and I was really excited for Montreal and Quebec City. I actually got to Montreal a couple of days ahead of the cruise, explored it, love it. Um, actually, um, you know what? I have not made this announcement. Uh, before this actual interview, but by the time this interview comes out, I will have made the announcement that the Fearless Journeys community is going to take a trip to Montreal oh, really? in this summer. Oh, wow. So we're going to do that. So if you're interested in coming to Montreal, and we're thinking about a side trip to Quebec City, I'm gauging the interest in that. I want to do it, but I know uh, i got to see what people's time is like. Uh -huh. But uh, late June, early July, we're going to time it with the Montreal Jazz Festival. Oh, my God. And my friend Dan Weinberg, who actually grew up, I believe, in Alberta. Uh, he now lives in Montreal, and he's actually been to Guatemala with me. Unfortunately, you guys were not here during that trip. He was our first Fearless Journeys group trip uh, to Guatemala. But he's a huge YouTube guy. He has something like 230,000 followers on YouTube. Oh, wow. He's been to many, many countries. He loves Guatemala. And um, anyway, but he lives in Montreal. He's done a lot of great Montreal videos. Uh, but he's going to be with us during that uh -huh. trip, so people can come connect with Dan as well. So it's going to be a really fun trip. But my first time going to Montreal was on that cruise, and we stopped for the for the day in, in Quebec City. Uh, I went out to a lovely cathedral in the countryside. It's like... Uh, like Saint-Anne-de-Beaubré. Uh, no, in Montreal or... or no, in Quebec City. In Quebec City. It's a huge basilica. Yeah, that's Saint Anne de Beaupré. Yeah, really yeah. cool. So anyway, but we, but we, you know, but if you're even if you're just in the little center of Quebec City, beautiful. It's charming. Yes. And I got to give one small anecdote. Um, so I'm there with. I was working for National Review Institute at the time. We were actually on a cruise that they do. National Review does a cruise every year, and this was the year they chose to do it. So I was actually being paid to be on this cruise. Uh, even better. Even better, yeah. One of the writers, Charlie Cook, he's originally from England. He now lives in Florida. Perhaps a bigger Disney fan than even me. And I grew up going to Disney my whole life. So uh, 2004, I'm with my brother. We're in Venice. We walk into San Marcos uh, Plaza. Yeah. yeah. And I look, and the first words out of my mouth were, oh, it's like Epcot. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then, and then if, in 2013, my brother and I are in China. 
and we're in Beijing, and we see the temple. We go to the Temple of Heaven, and the first words out of my mouth are, "Oh my God, it's like Epcot," <laughs> because Epcot has like a replica of some of these things in these countries. And my brother looked at me when we were in China. He goes, "If you do that again, I'm not traveling with you ever again." Uh, <laughs> so I say that because 2019, I'm in Quebec City. We walk into the plaza. I'm with Charlie Cook of National Review. And uh, the words out of his mouth were, oh, now I get Epcot. <laughs> because when you go to Epcot and you're going around the World Showcase and you go to Canada, great steakhouse there, by the way, at the Epcot Canada experience, the architecture they use at Epcot is exactly from Quebec City. Maybe there's even a little Montreal influence. But if you go to Toronto or Vancouver or whatever, and then you go to Epcot Canada, you're like, what's this? Um, so for you French Canadians, yeah. you should know that really Epcot is representing French Canada. Mostly. So yes, mostly okay. for the most part, for the most part. So I thought it was, but anyway, when Charlie Cook said those words, I said, it wasn't me this time. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, back to you, Lynn, Quebec City, beautiful yeah. place. Tell us a little bit about your early life growing up in Quebec City. I was born on the island of Orleans, which is in the St. Lawrence River, just right at the junction of Quebec which means in a native language, the narrowest, narrowest part of the river. So my grandparents were farmer. We had a maple syrup farm. And um, I grew up in an environment where I had five uncles, three aunts. And my father's side of the family, my grandfather was a carpenter. So it was very rural Canada the living I had. My mother was making our clothes. My grandmother cooked a lot. So it was really a very, very family-oriented things. So when I grew up, I decided I didn't want to live in an environment where uh, everybody knew my name and I was known because my father also had a big business and he was successful. So we were in the spotlight and I wanted to be incognito. I just wanted to evade all of this be so, yes be me so i ended up uh later on in I, I worked for first of all i worked for a technology company i was an application specialist in the late 80s when macintosh or apple now started up with their computer to do graphic design so i was teaching people on how to do graphic design which was very interesting because I was not technologically inclined, but they said, we can train you. I spoke French and English. That was good enough for them. So I got a job. I worked for them for a few years, and then that stopped because they were acquired by another German company. And then the company... Germans, huh? Yeah, they're everywhere. So I ended up leaving the company, and I decided to reorient my career, and I went in the fashion industry just because... I liked it. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what I was going to do. So I got into this program and I become, uh, I was trained to work in production, fashion production, which led me to work for a fashion school where they had a, an office of consulting. And I got very quickly in, in um, managing project because I had a lot of technology knowledge and I, I was bilingual, so I could speak with the government and the owner of business, which at the time, mostly Jewish. 
and in in uh, English speaking, mostly English speaking. So I got to to do all of that, and then eventually I became a lobbyist to work with the government and the business owner about the laws that manage the industry, mostly training laws and pay laws and all of that. And I worked with the union. So I had a, a wide array of things that I was doing. And then in 99, I ended up in Montreal, in Toronto for that board meeting. It was a board, the Canadian board that I was on for three years. They did a survey across the country. How's the fashion industry in the country? So I collaborated with them to write this report and we ended up presenting the report in Toronto, and this is where I met Uwe over a cigar. So, so yeah, I've heard this story before. So it's funny because, tell me exactly, Uwe, how this knowledge of the cigar uh, um, conversation came about when you were in this at this meeting in Toronto, sort of a conference. Yes. That was a conference, and there was representation from every province, and I represented Alberta. And my buddy from, Montre uh, from uh, Winnipeg, he was there too, representing Manitoba. And both of us are cigar smokers. I smoke cigars now for about 47 years. And uh, anyways... Uh, the still alive, still kicking, still doing well, 47 <laughs> years. Mom and Dad, if you're watching, listening, just I just want you to know so, cigars kind of was always uh, an interest to me because it was such a cool thing when you had a stressful day and you sat back in a chair and smoked a cigar, uh, your mind wandered into other ways than thinking about work or anything like that. You were relaxing and, and, it, w and it is, I felt it was good for me. So, Anyways, uh, the conference is finished, we are back in the hotel, and it's time to go for dinner. And Robert and I, we go downstairs, and there's uh, five other women down there that are representing other provinces. And um, so, where do we go for dinner, ladies? And they said, oh, we, you want to come along? Yeah, 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 we want to come along, of course. Um, and, and so they said, yeah, well, just come with us. We go outside. There's this big black limo sitting there. And they pile into the limo. And we were just about to follow them. They said, no, 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 this is for us. You guys take a cab and follow us. So which we did, of course. We didn't want to be chat off, you know. And uh, so we went and and come to the restaurant where they that they selected and they started and we get out and i look across the street and there's a cigar store and i said okay you guys go in and 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 i i'll just get myself a cigar and i'm just about walking across the street i hear this voice behind me i would want one too i would like a romeo and julietta churchill I look around and it's Lynn. Lynn wants a this cigar. This young lady over here. What can you do? Right? <laughs> of course. Of course I get that. And so we bought the cigar, we had dinner, and we smoked the cigars together. And that was our first encounter. Other than sitting in that big room with 300 other people. The cigar brought you together. Yeah, you know, that's the story of cigars. It brings so many people together. It brought this couple together. 
And that was in 99 yes. or something? Yes, in 99, in spring. So you meet at this conference, but you live out in Calgary? Yes. You live in Montreal. How did, yes. this, how did this work after the conference? Well, maybe <laughs> Lynn can explain. <laughs> well, uh, we are having a long-distance relationship for three years. This is not my idea of a good relationship. I'm not evading the emotional contact or whatever it is. So I said, uh, we got to do something. This is not working. I can't do this. So um, we actually cut it off twice and the third time he says no 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 no. this is a train ride you're gonna get on the train and we're gonna do this together I said okay so what do we do well we're gonna find I had to leave my job I had a big job and I was happy this is you or, or Uwe? me, me. You. Okay. yeah I what are we going to do? Are we going to live where you live or are we going to live here? Living in Montreal was not possible. He doesn't speak French. So that would not have worked. And I was not really interested to live in Western Canada. I'm very, very French and that did not feel like my place. So I said, we have to come up with something else. And Uwe at the time was the president of an association in the US and they had opened just Central America. So he- To the membership. To the membership of that association, exactly. So he decided to, to attempt to see if he can get a contract, which he did. He got a contract from one of those members of that association and he came down. We can, he said to me, I got a contract. We're going to El Salvador. Do you want to come? I said, okay, I'm coming. And I said to my dad, I'm moving to El Salvador with Uve. And he went, okay. Well, he says, it's easier to find a job than to find a husband. So you go ahead, you do it. So I left not knowing if it was gonna work because we had never lived together. So we get this humongous house with lots of room and we're always sitting on the same sofa in the same room. So we got to change houses and we always went smaller. And then at one point we said, okay, we're not sure we wanna do this consulting thing anymore. We would like to do something else. And what are we gonna do? Uwe says, we'll open a cigar shop in Antigua. So yeah, before we get to that, so you're in El Salvador yeah. roughly Two years. 2003-ish, 2004? 2002 to 2004. It was a two-year contract to establish a new garment factory. And while you're there, um, my understanding from so many stories over the last two years is you, you were coming over to Antigua from time to time, right? Why, why, why did you come here the first time? Why did you keep coming back? How often did you come back? Well... The work in that factory was a little strenuous uh, because of the temperatures. In springtime, it was well over 40 Celsius all the time. And being a northern person... I don't even know what that means, Celsius. But 40 okay, Celsius, you are at 94, 95 every day. And uh, as a northern person, and my metabolism had not adjusted... Uh, it was too hot. I, and I said uh, to one of the people I worked with, I said, where do I go where it's a little cooler? And they said, oh, go to the highlands of, of Guatemala. Go to Antigua. I said, Antigua, Antigua. I thought there was an island. 
No, 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 no. It's a nice old city in the in the mountains of in Guatemala, and it's called the the city of eternal spring, because it always has the same temperature. Uh, the fluctuation is only by about 10, 15 degrees um, in the whole year at no, for the night temperature or the day temperature. Day temperature never goes over 80, 80, um, and it's beautiful. Okay, so we j- one day jumped in the truck and drove for three and a half hours to Antigua. And wow, what a beautiful city. <laughs> And uh, with all its history, and and it was just wonderful. It it it, it caught our heart right there. Um, and on top of it, that evening we booked into a hotel and went for a stroll to Central Park for dinner. And there's a crowd gathering in the park, and there's a stage set up in front of the city hall, and there's a grand piano there. And we said, what's this? And so we sat down on the steps of the cathedral, like many other people. And then big speeches came up, and it was for honoring the most known tenor of Guatemala. And he received the order of the Quetzal, which is the highest order of the country. And that was given that night to him, and they performed a beautiful concert for free in the park. We said, this is a city, this is a town to stay, to be. And uh, so that caught our attention. And then in those two years, we came 18 times. Wow, 18 times in two years. Every long week, every month, one long weekend. Almost three and a half, four hour drive each way. Yes. Yes. That's great. So your contract then ends in El Salvador after about two years there? Yeah, it ended. And uh, so that's, like Lynn said, we tried to decide, are we going back to Canada or do, do we do something else? And um, I always had in mind that I would like to do something totally different when I'm 55 because in my working period, I met so many people that were working in their jobs some were unhappy with them, but they stayed in it because they, f- they felt trapped or whatever, for whatever reason they did. But I wanted to be free, and I wanted to do something that I really enjoy. And that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy my engineering job. I loved it. I really loved it. Um, and, but I always thought there's another part to life. And, and my number that I had picked as I was about 35, 40 was 55. Whatever money I have at that time, whatever I can cash in, and uh, we will find a place where where it will last and where we can have a peaceful life. And um, that was more important to me than amassing any kind of riches. Uh, that was never my, my main goal. And uh, so, we tried to figure out what do we do and Lynn said well do something where you can grow old with and what you enjoy. I said well I enjoy smoking cigars and playing golf. Well she said you don't have enough money to to get into the golf business. (laughs) Maybe a driving range but, but that's how far it goes and then the thought 
was not that bad. I actually investigated how much it would take to set up a driving range with 12 pads. And I had it all calculated out, the prices and everything, except in Antigua, I would not have been able to afford a piece of land that size that is needed. And besides that, the Fincas all around Antigua wouldn't give up a piece of land because they are in the coffee business. They are not in the golf business. So that kind of led to the cigar business. Very nice. So you come here, you move to Antigua, and you you had this idea to get into the cigar business here. What was the first steps you took to get into the cigar business? So first of all, it's in six in the morning. I'm in El Salvador. I woke up. He's not next to me. He never gets up before 10. So there's something going on. So I go in the living room and he's sitting and he says, I have a business plan. A business plan for what? For our cigar business in Antigua. I went, okay. So I looked at all of this. I said, yeah, that sounds good. I go back to my office and then I said, I'll design a logo because as I said, I was working for Apple in the 80s. So I knew a little bit about graphic arts. So I did the logo that is on our rings now. This is the same logo? This is the same logo. Beautiful logo. That's the logo I did. So... I did that. I put it on a bag, a paper bag, and I come back to him and I said, okay, we can put the cigars in this bag. And he went... Is that the same paper bag you have today? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I have a lot of those paper bags. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, okay, let's do this. So we figured out that we would have to invest a bit of money to buy the merchandise and all of this. So and learn more about it. Yeah, and learn more about the cigars. We both were smoking because I started to smoke. I was 19. I went to Cuba in an all-inclusive. And then I, this old man is rolling cigars, and he says, do you want to learn how? I said, yes, I'd like that. He says, you come back at 4? And I'm finished my day, and I'll teach you how to smoke. I said, okay. This is when you were 19 in 19 Cuba? 19 years old wow. in Cuba. Yeah, by myself, traveling by myself. Okay. So, I've, uh, no, I was in Veradero. Veradero. What yeah. part of the country is that? Do you, east, it west? would be on the Caribbean side, mm-hmm. not on the Atlantic. The north side, though. The north side, yeah. So, um, so I go there, and he teaches me how to smoke. And interestingly enough... He says, you don't have to inhale. I love this. I couldn't inhale anything. I tried the, 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 the smoking the pots with my friends, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't inhale. I couldn't smoke cigarette. And I said, you're sure I don't inhale? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he teach me how to do this, how to light it, to cut it, and to smoke it. And I went, I like this. So I smoked from then on. And then, so we're in El Salvador, and we, we have to figure out who we're going to buy a cigar from and all of that. And... We started to investigate, and we investigate, and then eventually we bought $5,000 worth of cigars, and the business plan was, if it doesn't work, we'll smoke them all. <laughs> that was... That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, there was, a, there was no downside. None. Knew at some point you might probably spend $5,000 in cigars anyway. Anyway, yeah. in the course of my life, yeah. Right. It, it ended up being far more, but th- th- this is all good, all good. But Uwe had a great idea that he's going to tell you now how he started this business because it's, it was not this living room. Hold on. Well, um, as we came here on the visits, I fell in love with the Central Park, and there's a lot of people selling all kinds of 
goodies and, and handcrafts and everything else. And so I had this idea, I will build a carrito and a good size humidor, three glass sides, shelves inside, and I uh, made a design and I had it built. And uh, I had big bicycle wheels on it. It was a beautiful carrito. And we filled it with cigars on the shelves. And I thought, well, I take it in the park. I sit on the park bench, smoke cigars, and and see all the tourism go by and 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 uh, the people who were purchasing. Sounds like cigars. a good idea. You know, somebody could be walking by, see a smoke a cigar. Where'd you get that? I have some right here. Yeah, right. exactly, right. exactly. So uh, as we had moved, we built it all. And we moved to from Salvador to Antigua. And uh, one of the first Sundays, I loaded my carrito up and I went to the park and uh, uh, unloaded and uh, bye-bye Lynn and uh, have a good afternoon. And uh, I sit in the park. And, uh, well, there was some gentleman coming by and, oh, wow, look at great cigars. And... Uh, they started purchasing a couple cigars and they were sitting with me and we were chatting and then all of a sudden we were surrounded by six policemen. Oops, what's going on? Oops, yeah, my Spanish was not very good at all. And uh, and I heard the words of confiscation and all kinds of, and wow, uh, I better do something about it. And I asked the one guy, hang on to my carrito, don't let go. I go to the coffee shop, I have to phone Lynn. And so I phoned Lynn, you have to come immediately, because Lynn is, went in Salvador to university and took Spanish uh, the proper way, not like me, because I was working. <laughs> and uh, so um, she came very fast and, of course, got engaged with the police guys. And uh, what, what is the problem? Well, you're not indigenous. Only the indigenous can sell in the square and stuff. And you have to have a store and you have to have a license and you have to have this. And we confiscate the goods. And, and, and Lynn is great at talking. So she kind of engaged in heavy-duty talking with these guys and drew him a little bit away. I grabbed my carrito, went very fast to my truck, loaded the thing up. Lynn, come, 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 let's go. And we took off and we went home. And then the next day, we started the process of what they decided what we should do. So it's interesting because... Uh, right in a moment there, not only was your cigar business going to be done, oh yeah, but Lynn's idea that we were going to at least have five thousand dollars worth of cigars to smoke for the rest of our lives gone. was going to be gone too. Yes, exactly. That was, that a, was the worst part. Th that was the worst part. Yeah. So that's why I had to save those. <laughs> also, for those that maybe aren't familiar with Antigua and the Central Park, it's sort of like the Central Plaza here it's a small and it's beautiful and there's a fountain in the middle and there's little plants you know plants around the sides and everything but if you come here <clears throat> there's lots of people selling stuff they're selling balloons they're selling ice cream they're selling weaved material braided whatever lots more uh kind of more like you said more indigenous type people selling these things so it probably just looks like you can show up and sell things but it but doesn't that's not the case it did not work out for the a gringo <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. So you found your way. Um, do you want to explain the processes or the steps uh, in what you did kind of next in, in, uh, in your cigar business? 
Well, the talking with some of the locals, they said, well, you have to incorporate, become an SEA, Sociedad Anonima, to avoid uh, being known, you go Anonima. Um, so, okay, we did that. So we legalized the whole thing, and then we started to look for a location, because as a foreigner, you cannot be selling on the street. At the time... You could not, and still today, you can't sell on the street anymore. You should mention Maite. Uh, Maite, yeah. We, uh, when he said earlier that he left, he went to the coffee shop to call me. He went into a coffee shop that was owned by a German family. And now that we have some kind of an emptiness now, we have to find a place. She says, park your stuff here. They can't bug you in here. So we went and stayed there for three months. And we started to sell the cigar while we were doing all this process of registration. It is not very difficult. It is more uh, tedious than difficult. And we went through it and we started it. And so at this time, we were incorporated in September. And we started this whole thing in April. So four months later, we were ready to go. And in the meantime, we found... A location that will become our location for 15 years wow. on a handshake with the owner of the building so all of it was good it was very good and how long have you been in the present location we're at now uh, we moved here during the pandemic in June 2020 yes because in 18 2018 the people where we were at at location for 15 years they requested that we um i have to go uve will continue the story yeah uve will uh we'll, we'll pause since we got some i mean what a perfect timing for somebody to knock on the door yes <laughs> because they discovered this location uh just just moments ago and uh a location you moved to in the middle of the pandemic and What's really interesting to me, maybe you could tell me um, if I discovered you or somebody else. The first time I came to Guatemala was in 2019. I was into cigars by then. Not as much as I am now because it seems like every day that goes by I get more into cigars. But uh, So I could probably say that any given day. But I remember I was with my friend Kyle. He's not a cigar guy, but he knew I was kind of looking for a cigar. And especially when you're like an American and you're maybe abroad... Um, and you're looking for a cigar, maybe you're looking for a Cuban cigar, you know, whatever. Um, but I, I remember looking like, I can't find cigars around here. This was just in 2019. I think it was May of 2019. And we finally, I don't know if somebody pointed me in the direction or I was looking around and there was a little wine shop not far from the arch. Yeah. And yeah. there was uh, they Ricardo. Sold, yeah. They sold some cigars in there, and we found. I don't know if it was a Cuban. I don't remember what I smoked. To be honest with you, that day. But uh, then we, we obviously couldn't smoke there because it was a wine shop. But we went over to El Barrio, and they have you know it's kind of like a little uh, food court for bars. I guess the best way to say it. And we went to the rooftop, and we grabbed the drink, and I was able to enjoy my cigar there. Uh, looking, by the way, it's cool because when you're enjoying your cigar there, you're on a rooftop. And you basically, you know, every building in Antigua is like two stories or less. So yes. you get you got a nice view, maybe the volcano in the background, things like that. So, um, so that was I did not discover you. I don't know if you had a location. Like you obviously had a location, 
Um, but I didn't discover you then. And I should actually mention, I was I was back here living in Guatemala, uh, starting my uh, teaching opportunity at the Universidad Francisco Marroquin in March of 2021. Uh, so Guatemala sort of starting to come out of the pandemic a bit. Um, and in April, my friend Bob Rubin came to visit. He was the first person that came to visit me while I was living here. And we went to Guatemala, you know, we were in Guatemala City for, I think, the first two nights, came to Antigua the final night of his trip. And my friend Lisa Hanko, uh, I had, she had told me at some point, because she knew I liked cigars, oh, there's this place, I know the owners, Uve and Lynn, and it's called Antigua Cigars. And I was like, really? I'd never seen this place. And so I finally found it. And it's actually funny because... Right before Bob and I came here, we went to Kyoba Farms. And I had been to Kyoba Farms once before. And this was literally my second time. And I'd only been there like the month before. Because actually Kyle was back in Guatemala and our mutual friend Rosemary. And the three of us kind of all you know hung out in Antigua one, one day. And uh, maybe it was actually early April. And um, we went to Kyoba and I thought it was cool. So a few weeks later when Bob came, actually he might have came in May. Uh, I said, oh, let's go to this place, Kyoba Farms. I think it'll be cool. And lo, lo and behold, we randomly, in some ways, randomly meet the owner, Alex. Yes. Alex comes up to our table, starts talking to us. He starts asking us how our food is. And I just got a sense that he might be part of management. And his English accent was great. And I said, are you the manager or something? And he said, well, I actually found it on the, on the owner. Oh, okay. And wow, you speak really good English. And he said, well, I grew up in Guatemala, but my dad's from... Uh, my dad's from the the U.S., so we start talking for 15 minutes. And uh, by the way, I ended up way later having Alex on my podcast, so people can go back and watch his whole story. But 10, 15. I mean, we're talking, and it's funny. Bob's joking to Alex because I keep asking him more questions about this incredible place, Kyoba Farms. And uh, Bob says, "You better be careful. Francisco will will have a podcast with you." You know, I said, "Actually, I would love to come back here and do a podcast," <laughs> but. Bob starts asking him some questions about his family. Oh, where where do your parents do? And he said his dad had this business where he built these wooden doors. Doors, windows. And all of a sudden, a little light bulb went off in Bob's head. And Bob goes, is your last name Kronick? He goes, yes. And I even go, what are you talking about? And he goes, your dad's name was Paul, right? <laughs> yes. He goes, Yeah. He used to be a client of mine for like 20 years. <laughs> Bob's in wealth management, finance, all this stuff. So he said, you know, when you said the wooden doors things, all of a sudden I was like, I know a guy that makes wooden doors. And oh my gosh, Bob forgot that he actually knew somebody that was in Guatemala. Uh, he yeah. just didn't put it together. So funny enough. But anyway, um, you know, so we so we, ha- we seem to have this little quick bond with Alex, which made me, which prompted me to say to him, you know, Alex, somebody's spending a lot of time in Guatemala. Do you smoke cigars? And uh, he goes, no, I don't actually. I said, oh, too bad, because we're going to go down the street here soon. And we're going to go find this place called Antigua Cigars. He goes, oh, I know the owners. In fact, uh, the first greenhouse right, I had here, uh, they actually gave me the greenhouse. And uh, it was a whole long story. But anyway, uh, so it's funny because an hour or two later, Bob and I leave Kyoba Farms. This was literally our next stop. We come here. L- Lissa Honkel had, I think, given Lynn the heads up that some friends of hers were going to be coming. So we walk in here. 
being very welcome because you guys also maybe knew that there was somebody that was being sent your way. So uh, we had a fantastic time with you. The very first time that we came here, uh, you just feel like home. And I mean, look at this place. If you're watching this on YouTube, I mean, it looks like a living room. It's really, really fantastic. But um, but I say all that because finally I found this place. And then uh, now I you know, I have a home here in Antigua and, uh, and also over cigars. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, like uh, you said, living room. And that was in the other location as well. Uh, because the first five years, we were open from noon until eight at night every day. 365 days. Wow. And Lynn and I, we ran, we ran it. We were there every day for the first five years. So I also come in here for the first time. And, you know, I go on the other side of this wall. Is there a humidor? And you could just come in and buy a cigar and leave. Or you could come in and, and, uh, and stay here, smoke a cigar. And, you know, I, I thought, oh, you know, what cigar am I going to smoke? And I saw that you had a locally branded cigar, Antigua Cigars, which I'm smoking right now. And I'm sitting right over there on the other side there on the couch. And you're sitting here. And I don't know if Lynn was over there or whatever. And Bob's here. And I'm about halfway through this cigar. Which, by the way, is a fantastic price. And, you know, I really didn't know what to expect. Because they've got some Rocky Patels. They've got some Placencias. They've got, you know, some things. But I think I literally remember about halfway through the cigar looking right over at Uve and going, this is a fantastic cigar. Can you tell us a little bit about... Where I think I'm smoking the Maduro here. Uh, yeah. Where are your cigars made? What kind of cigars do you have, and where are they made? Well, to tell you about what how it all came about was our house brand was um, about 15 years ago or something. Once we were a few years in business, we kind of noticed the cigar culture is not very big in Guatemala. And it was more the establishment that came and bought some of the local, but majority was tourists. Our business was tourists because um, before the pandemic, uh, Antigua is the most visited spot in Central America. We had over one million tourists every year as an individual spot. Tikal is number two, and the uh, Panama Canal is number three. As a country, it's Costa Rica as a total country. Um, they have more the ecolo ecological interest and, and, and I must say, little nicer beaches than us. <laughs> and so anyways, through that, um, we thought, well, there's an upcoming younger crowd and why don't we educate them more on cigars? And uh, so with our purchasing trips to Honduras and Nicaragua, we always went hopped in the truck, um, had a friend that ran the store for that time, um, our friend George, and um, we went for a week or two weeks to and learned more about the fields, the making and everything else. So I want once, well, that's like with everybody with, who has a passion. And, and if you have the passion, you want to know all about it, all the yeah. details and, and all the things, how, how it's made, how it's grown, what the differences are. And then I learned about the differences of tobacco. And, uh, and because we have a free trade zone, uh, C4, which is uh, Nicaragua, Honduras, Salvador, and Guatemala, 
we don't pay duties amongst each other. So we have a very uh, s a substantial advantage uh, financially on purchasing cigars straight from the factory. While in many other areas of the world it goes through four or five distribution hands and uh, the whole system which raises the price so much and their advertising budgets and, and, and. And we have none of that. I said, I can produce a cigar and sell a cigar. Um, my first cigars I sold for 10 quetzales, which is dollar twenty, dollar forty, depending on the exchange rate. And I found out that actually even the branded cigars are not that much more expensive to make the tobacco is similar, but there's aging processes involved. Some age the tobacco for many years, roll the cigar, age the cigars. All of that added costs to the main brands and uh, to specialty, and that warranted, and the distribution cost warrants their prices. But I wanted that I have a cigar available for any, anybody who would like to start and try. And so I made various sizes. I made a very small personita and a corona and a robusto. I made different sizes and I made them um, with, um, well, I didn't make them, but I choose those, those tobaccos um, that are mild for a, a beginner, that um, it, it doesn't, it's not offensive, not too much strength in the cigar, and having different cuppas. The cuppa of the cigar gives a, between 15 to 35 percent of the flavor of the cigar, that little leaf on the outside. Many people don't realize that. And so it has an influence on the taste of the cigars. The filler could be the same, but if I take a Corojo leaf or a Connecticut leaf or a Pennsylvania broadleaf, Ecuadorian sun-grown, and all the different types of tobaccos with different tastes, or San Andres, which has sweetness in the tobacco. And so we made different cuppas and different sizes at prices from $1.20 to $3. And it, it started more of the local business too. And uh, actually, the tourism um, really enjoyed our choice of, of blending. Um, like the cigar that you smoke, is from Nicaragua. It's a Maduro Capa, and it's from one farm that grows their own tobacco, and it's in the Condega Valley, which is just outside of Esteli in Nicaragua. It's a family business. Uh, they have about 60 rollers. If, uh, as comparison, the Rocky Patel in Dunley has 600 rollers. <laughs> That's amazing. So a couple things you said there for those listening, to a little cigar education. So it's interesting too with cigars, other than your branded wrapper on the cigar, which at some point when we get when we burn enough of the cigar, we take the wrapper off, right? Uh, but the entire cigar, including the outside of the cigar, is tobacco leaf. That's and that's why you say like that outside leaf is what gives you said ten or fifteen percent of the flavor. The cup of yeah, yeah the, what yeah. do you call that? The kappa? Or, or yeah, or you you in English it's uh, in English we call it the the wrapper. The wrapper. Oh, the wrapper. Yeah. The, the cigar has three construction components: the filler, 
which is the tripa, and uh, then the the binder, which is the capote, and the capa. Yeah. yeah. So the entire thing is natural. Natural. Um, and uh, and that's you know that also I think what distinguishes a lot. Well, that's also what distinguishes a lot from. Um, Cigarette. A cigarette, right, too. Uh, other than the fact how you smoke it, uh, you don't inhale cigars. Absolutely. And it's not, and a cigar No is, chemicals added. No chemicals added. It's all totally natural tobacco. Um, the other thing you mentioned when you were talking about Nicaragua, so for example, like Nicaragua and the Dominican Republic probably have the best cigars in the world today. Yeah. Um, Cuba has also been traditionally known, of, uh, of course, as a, as a great place for cigars, People question, you know, the the quality today, or 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 not just the quality, but the quality and the price combined, whether it's worth it. But uh, but yeah, I think some of my favorite cigars now are Nicaraguan, and I mean, I've probably smoked more Antigua branded cigars than maybe any cigar now in my life. I I, I will be leaving after this interview uh, uh, is recorded. Uh, I'm about 24 hours away from going back to Florida. And you guys all know what I do before I go back to Florida. I load up on your cigars. And then usually when I get down to just a couple or one, I send Linda text with a picture. Only got a couple left. <laughs> you know, so um, anyway, um, I have. this is why I have to keep coming back to Guatemala just to load up on these cigars. There's nothing like Cuba, uh, for example. It's hard. We can't find Cuban cigars are not sold in the United States. Um, you can get them from some people here and there, and there's, but obviously because of the embargo issues and things like that. So, uh, but they do allow Cubans to transport now. Like if you're on a cruise or you're traveling to Cuba somehow, or you're traveling to some other place that sells Cuban cigars, you can you can buy them and, and you can take a certain limited amount back to the United States as long as you're not selling them just for personal use. That actually is kind of new in the last ten or fifteen years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I gotta say, um, the you know, as much as, you know, my family's heritage is from Cuba, my dad's from Cuba, my grandfather actually was born and raised in the Panad de Rio area of Cuba. Um, and, and I don't get the cigar smoking from them because my dad doesn't smoke or anything. My grandfather smoked uh, mostly a pipe and, and even cigarettes and, and, uh, and cigars, but not really in my adult life with him because cause I, uh, he didn't smoke at that point. And he has since passed away about 12, 13 years ago now. So... But uh, but uh, but it is funny that you know uh, the heritage just go back. Pinar del Rio is one of the best uh, tobacco growing areas in the world for all a lot of different reasons. Um, but the um, but the Cuban cigars today are very very pricey to get, and 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 you know that I think there's also some question about the quality. But especially I think the bigger thing is the quality has gone up in the DR and 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 the and Nicaragua. And a lot of those old Cuban families went to those places. And let's not forget Honduras. And Honduras, Honduras yes. Honduras has a, a large industry in the Dunlee area. And some of your cigars that are Antigua cigars come from Honduras too, Yeah, right? we have a Honduran one and a Nicaraguan one. And we differentiate between a green ring and a red ring. A red ring is Nicaragua, green ring is mm. fabricated in, in Honduras. Oh, see, even I'm learning here. So this is great. Uh, so when you go in that humidor here... At Antigua Cigars, you'll find the differences. Um, and then the other thing you mentioned was, uh, so a lot of these really great cigar, ma- like a lot of Rocky Patels come from Honduras and Nicaragua? Yeah. Both. Both, both yeah. They have factories in Placencia's both places. Placencia's in Nicaragua. But Placencia is the largest tobacco grower. 
you, their family is in the tobacco business for five generations. And the first three generations were in Cuba. They, mm -hmm. For instance, there is a cigar that they brought out just recently, and they call it Cosecha 149. And that harvest, Cosecha means harvest, that harvest, the 149th harvest of that family was in 2014. Wow. So you can count back when they started in the 1800s. And, it, and Nesta Placencia, as his as the family farms were confiscated in in, in the six in sixty, he took some seeds and went over to Nicaragua, and today he is the largest private t tobacco grower in the world, uh, more than thirty thousand acres. And at in some five point, countries. In five so they countries. went there in the sixties, and at some point was it in the eighties that they also had their farms confiscated in Nicaragua? Well, they had problems at that time as a, with the Sandinistas, yes. Yeah. That's actually when he moved from Nicaragua and bought land in Honduras. Mm. And in the Hamastran Valley, he owns a lot of land. And our house brand has actually Hamastran uh, tobacco in there. It's Placencia tobacco in there, in uh, my house brand. Wow, know. that's amazing. Yeah. And uh, so anyways, um, that family is great and and. Even Nestor, as he started out, was only tobacco grower. And then they started over the time building factories. They had four factories, but they leased them out. And one of the biggest leasers was Rocky Patel. He started his whole business in one of the Placencia factories and still leases that factory. All the edges are made there and, and all the Honduran production is made there. Uh, it employs about 1,200 people in there. And um, they, they roll a million cigars a month. One million cigars a month just in one? This is Rocky? Rocky, yeah. Rocky Vitale. Yeah. Um, so I was just, you know, I spent a lot of time when I'm in Guatemala City at the Caranto Club. Oh, yeah. Which is uh, our friend Alex Puy And Puy Alex. Puy. Yeah, and Alex had him on the podcast as well. I want to say it was episode 102 or somewhere around there uh, last year. But just recently, in the last couple months, he went up to the Oscar Villarades. Mm -hmm. uh, factory in Honduras and mm -hmm. also told me some stories of how many people are working there as well. It's incredible. Yes. Yeah. A small new company that grew up and uh, is obviously making a fantastic cigar. Leaf by Oscar is known now in many countries um, and widely distributed in the United States. Yeah, and I believe their story is also, was it Rocky Patel that he, I think Oscar... Oscar used, as Rocky wanted to go into the cigar business, mm -hmm. he hooked up with Placencia and uh, learned more about the industry and actually moved there. And Rocky spent tons of time there because he wanted to roll and uh, blend his own, own cigars. He wanted to understand the whole industry. And uh, he didn't speak Spanish. And Oscar was his driver, personal driver and translator for many years. And then he grew up further in the system, and Rocky supported him further, and eventually he started his own little company. Yeah, what an entrepreneurial story that is. Uh, I mean, when you are the driver for Rocky Patel and the translator, and, and, and really learned uh, firsthand from Rocky, and also what a great, you know, this is the other thing I love about entrepreneurs, is the entrepreneurs that are willing to share 
their um, their lessons, their knowledge. To so so to to think about how Rocky learned from Placencia about cigars, then grew this huge cigar business, mm-hmm. and now and then Rocky taught others. I'm sure there are others besides Oscar out there too. There there are others. There's uh, many. Cubans that were displaced by having their properties confiscated. Um, Dominican Republic. Uh, mm-hmm. um, Fuente. Fuente, yeah. Yeah, huge. Fuente. Huge. Corillo. Um, in, in Nicaragua, there's many, like there's the, the, the other families that established there, like the Oliver, and, and they grow tobacco and make cigars. And, and there's many, many ex-Cubans that started all of this. So just the other day when I was at the Caranto Club, Alex was showing me a graphic of the cigar um, products. How, how, who, so 35% of all cigars are made in the Dominican Republic. They're number one right now. Nicaragua was number two. I want to say it was like 15% or so. I might be getting that off. I think they're higher. Maybe 20. Yeah, they're maybe 20. But it was a, those were the top two. Then it went down. Maybe Cuba was three. And then actually funny, um, there was Germany and Poland. And I said, well, hold on a second. Tobacco's not grown there, but they must be producing the cigars there. Germany and Holland, they import a lot of tobacco from, from Brazil. Mm. out of the uh, uh, Salvador region. It's a huge region of tobacco. And it was always known. It was, you go back to the early 1900s, tobacco was imported in Europe because cigars were rolled in Denmark and Germany and in France and Spain. Uh, The industry used to always import their their tobacco. And um, in, in my early years in Germany, I remember my, my grandfather, he smoked cigars. And uh, it was only, you want a Sumatran or you want in Brazil? It was a Sumatran or Brazil. The, the Sumatran was the light leaf and the Brazil was the dark leaf. And that was it. And, and they, they didn't make distinction of the label of the company even, you know. And uh, so, yeah, the industry in Europe is huge. And actually... When you look into the fin- financial area of the tobacco industry, there are some in Dominican private and there are some private ones, but a very, very large one is Scandinavian uh, uh, tobacco. And they are connected with Swedish Match. They own so many factories that people don't even know of that they are the owner of mm-hmm. and the distribution of in Europe. You know. That's interesting. Uh, the other cool thing about the cigar industry is you see a lot of the collaborations. So uh, maybe about six months ago, I was in Tampa, Florida. Uh-huh. And uh, the, it's actually part of Tampa is is called Ybor City. And Ybor City has mm-hmm. a really great um, cigar history, uh, mostly of Cubans coming and rolling tobacco in the late 1800s. And it's actually named after a Spaniard, Don Vicente Ybor who, uh, Y-B-O-R, who created the company town in a sense. And he was a a Spaniard who had been in Cuba and then took, I think he took his first factory to, um, in the U.S. to Key West. And there was a lot of factories in Key West in the late 1800s and then went to um, Ybor City. That picture up there is one of the original covers of a cigar box out of uh, Key West. Oh, cool, yeah. Key West Cigar Company. Yeah, Key West had a huge industry, and um, 
in cigars in the late 1800s. Mostly it was to avoid tariffs. So they would send the... if So U.S. tariffs at the time on cigars was very high on the finished cigar. Yeah, not on tobacco. But not on the tobacco. So they would take the Cuban tobacco and they would ship it to Key West, 90 miles away, and then they had all these... Uh, they had rollers. they were, yeah all the rollers that would that would roll the cigars and then when they had some labor issues there they moved <laughs> to some some moved to uh, to the Tampa area Ybor City so I say that because I was just touring a factory it's the the last cigar factory in Tampa and it's the J C Newman Company yeah uh, yeah but let's not be um, it's actually not a Cuban family. It's actually a Jewish family yes. from Ohio. Yes. And they yes. moved down there, I think, in the early 1900s somewhere, maybe 1930s or something. And um, they told me, I believe, at least on the scale, there may be some small little factories where people roll cigars, but they said, not only are we the last kind of large-scale cigar uh, factory in, the U- in, in Tampa, but also in the U.S. There's a lot of reasons for that. Labor issues. It's... Yeah, uh, less expensive to to to, uh, and also it's, you know there's no tobacco fields. Uh, there's a there's a few in Florida here and there, but not nothing like in in the Caribbean or in Central America. So anyway, but uh, but they do a collaboration with Fuente, J C Newman, and in fact they told me that if you are smoking a Fuente cigar in in the United States, it has likely first been stored at their factory in in ah, uh, in Tampa. Interesting. Yeah, and then uh, a lot of these companies now are doing. I think it was the Padron family and the Fuente family yes. do a collaboration now. Yes, that's wonderful. So it's kind of cool to see entrepreneurs working together, yeah. collaborating, helping each other grow. The cigar, especially, I think you know the tobacco industry is really banded together. There's obviously lots of regulations on tobacco. Yeah. A lot of regulators and policymakers get cigarettes and cigars confused, and then there's this new e-cigarette and all these sorts of things where you know they're. Uh, the flavored, uh, what do you call it? The, the it's kind of like an e-cigarette. What do they call it? The um, the, the vaping, oh, right? Terrible. So they're trying to cut. They're trying to cut down on young people vaping so much. So they in the U.S. recently they raised the age from 18 to 21 for all tobacco products, uh, yeah. which most cigar store owners and lounge owners that I meet in the U.S. I asked them about that. They obviously weren't happy about it because they. They don't want any new regulations on their industry, but they also kind of said, you know, there's very few people between the ages of 18 and 20 that are actually smoking cigars, so it's That's not true. really That's part true. of our industry as it is. Um, so, but going back, I want to just talk Antigua cigars. You're here. Uh, you're, Antigua itself attracts a lot of expats. Yes. So people from the U.S., Canada, Europe, maybe beyond. And you attract, you have a membership here as well. You have a club that people can be a part of. Can you tell us, um, two-part two, two question. One, what's it like living here as, a, as an expat, I guess you could say, and, and the kind of other people from other places that you meet, the other kind of businesses that some of these people own? And then secondly, um, the kind of club members you attract. Well, the... The whole thing about the club was that when we started the business, Uwe and I worked at it uh, 365 days a week. Uh, yeah. T- 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 yeah, 365 days a year. Felt like 365 <laughs> days a week. I exactly. Bet. <laughs> and and it felt like it. yeah, exactly. About 12 hours a day, and we had to create an ambiance where we would be comfortable in 
to smoke our cigars. And then by ricochet, we seduced the clientele as well to do that, sit with us and smoke. But forward, fast forward, uh, the government of Guatemala introduced in 2007, I believe it was, a non-smoking laws. So we had to adapt and we created a private environment to smoke. So we just moved the living room. Can you say, what is? what do you mean by non-smoking laws? What does that mean? It means that uh, you cannot smoke in a public area that is sort of enclosed. If you are inside a garden that is public, you couldn't smoke there. If you are on a terrace that is public, in theory, you can't smoke there. So we had to create a different legal structure that allowed us to have our client tried our product and then uh, leave with more product. That so was in, the in a sense, creating a private club. Yes, yeah. we created the private club. Membership. Membership club. And, and now, because uh, the 50% of our business is tourism, we have to offer a daily membership. So they buy their membership, they sit here, they smoke their cigars, and they leave. The private club thing is not very expensive, 900 Q, it's about $120 a year for somebody to have their little card in their wallet. They are a member of Antigua Cigar Club. And that's what we do when you have alcohol, and it's a nice ambiance. It's a feutre. They say in French. And are and most of your clients, most, okay, so you have the daily members, which are mostly tourists. Yes. Uh, that come here. And then the people who are your. And city people. And, si- and locals. Yeah. From the city. Oh, people from Guatemala City. Yeah. 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 And so they're, they're Guatemalans who live in the city uh-huh. and travel to, to Antigua for a weekend or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then the people who are your annual members, who are most of them? Most of them are foreigners that live here. Um, do we have, yeah, we have some Guatemalans, uh, yeah. club members, but mostly foreigners. And we have some foreigners that don't live here and they still have their membership just because they want to be a member of the club. Um, it's a small community. There's about 30 of us and, and we have events every month and we have promotion and that's how the family grew because we're often together, but the place is not big enough to host everybody at once, so we go out for events. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, it's a great place. Um, to and, network. Yeah, a great place to network. Yes. I've come in here, um, really, you know, you come in to a cigar lounge to smoke a cigar. Yeah. But you never know who you're going to meet at a yes. cigar lounge, yes. whether it's the owners like you, uh, whether it's just any... I mean, I've met... And it's funny because I've never been in Antigua full-time, I usually just am one of the people that come in from the city Yeah. Um, or when I'm traveling here on a, on a trip. And yet, <laughs> so many times I come in here and I see a lot of familiar faces yeah. that maybe the last time I saw them was six months ago. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's great to see a lot of those same people. And, you've, and it's cool that Antigua attracts so many people from around the world yeah. that live here. Yeah. And... I always say it's a very kind of, it's a small place, very walk, you know, the whole city, the mostly is walkable and yet there's, you can come and um, there's so many like restaurants, right? Our friends down the street at Como Como, a Belgian style restaurant. We have Italian restaurants, French restaurants, German restaurants. 
Chinese. It's Chinese. I mean, you get everything in Antigua. For such a small place, it's just incredible. Yes. Yeah, because uh, Antigua is surrounded by coffee thinkers. Mm. There's really not much expansion. <laughs> and we have 14 aldeas, small villages, around Antigua that uh, belong to the structure of Antigua. We live in the next village in San Pedro Las Huertas. And uh, many expats live more in the villages. We are estimating it's about 4,000 in, in and around Antigua. And um, a large number of them are part-timers, that, that uh, the children went out, uh, they on their own, they had a house in Boston, they sold the house in Boston, they bought one down here for a portion of the money they, they got there, and they kept the cottage. And so in the summer, they go back for a few months to their cottage. They are six months, six months, usually. So um, I guess it also has to do with the insurances and all of that. And, and that's what many do. Many, many do uh, are part-timers here for half, half a year. Yeah, well, once you come to Antigua and you spend any time here, you, just, you really just don't want to leave. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> yes. And so I want to ask you just a couple last questions here. One is... You know, somebody might be watching this and go, I can't believe a guy from Germany slash Canada and a woman from Canada um, are have now moved uh, to Guatemala. And, you know, you were in your 50s, Uwe, when you when you started here. And um, and, and that was what, around 2004, five? 2004, 2004. Yeah. We and, moved here. And so. uh to be able to, to come here and move and, and spend maybe the rest of your life here, uh, almost you were almost retirement years, but this was kind of like a new business opportunity for you. Yeah. Um, but what, what are some of the um, what, what are some of the changes you've seen or some of the just perspectives that you have of Guatemala over those last 17 years here? Um, the technology has changed the face of Guatemala very much so that the cell phone, the internet, uh, even though coming from the north, we were accustomed to all of this. Here, it was later that it got moving. I remember spending hours at the bank in line to either do a withdrawal or a deposit. So the bank machine came in and the internet and all of those things. And uh, the pandemia gave all of this a big push. There's a lot of government stuff that you can do online now. So uh, it is changing fast. But it remains that the, the country, lack of education, uh, lack of um, structure, it's still, you live in a third world country with a lot of facility with the internet. Antigua is very pristine and it's the best place probably in Guatemala. It's also the most expensive one, but from somebody from North America, this is not expensive. Mm -hmm. So uh, the people are amazing. It's fun to live here. Uh, the weather is extraordinary. But one thing I wanted to say, we have made new friends recently. They're both Guatemalans. They lived in the US, one in LA, the other one in Texas. They were married, had a life, separated, and remarried together and decided to move here. So we spend time with them, and they're, they're looking at us like, really? We're Guatemalans. We're coming home. What are you doing here? And why do you like it so much? 
and it was really a change of pace, a change of lifestyle. As you know, I was in the fashion industry. Consumption was my thing. And when you come here, at the beginning especially, it was so difficult to consume. You couldn't get anything. Or if you wanted to get something, you could probably find it. But how long it will take you and what, how much would you have to pay for it? So you become less and less needy. You consume less. You live better. You eat better. All kinds of things have influenced and made our life better here because of that. It's slow pace. And, and the Guatemalans, they have little and they share it with you. They're always smiling. They're happy in their adver adversity. And that's a lesson in life. It makes us better people because we're not as... Um, forceful i would say because demanding. demanding forceful yeah it's it's a very much a nicer life here yeah because when you say that's interesting because a lot of people yeah maybe in the u.s or canada where it's maybe the most advanced places not just technology like you said consumption whatever ease uh, ease of ease, ease of life of, comfort of life lots yes. of lots of comfort convenience convenience but yeah you what you kind of just described is there's a different side a different mentality of comfort of life yes yes and when you're not in that kind of rat race yes. i guess you could say right yeah. necessarily not there's the always mañana <laughs> in in latin country mañana is a big word it means tomorrow but it's not tomorrow it's whenever i get to it uh -huh. you'll get it and you learn to live with that and nothing is an emergency it's not because i got you emailed today that i will respond in 20 minutes this is not a microwave and and all of that makes your life much more cool i would well, say well you know it's funny because i run some group trips yeah. And when you're running, a, and I'm a very much a planner mindset. Yeah. And so when you're running, you've got an itinerary, you got places you need to go, you got people you need to meet, you got only so much time when, pe when you've got people visiting here for seven or 10 days. Uh -huh. And I've even noticed uh, when I'm telling the driver, like, oh, we got to, we got to, calm down, Francisco. Yeah. Relax. Relax. Yeah. 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 You know, and it's, we'll uh, get there. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's because I'm always thinking about oh we got to go to that next thing someone's waiting for us over here you know whatever um, I got to get the group moving you know uh, but yeah but it is kind of funny you see that that difference in mindset in the mentality of and it's not some people could look at it a different way and say well they don't they're, they're not, not efficient they're not efficient they're not serious they're not punctual but but you can just look at it it's it's actually just a different mentality yes of yeah. the way you look at life also something you said well kind of made me think about just in the last two weeks oh. Time. Uwe will take over. Yeah, so Uwe will take over. In the last couple of weeks, I had some friends come here to Guatemala. I took them to Legatitlan, and they loved it. And it was great. And I, you know, I had to come back to the city, uh, and they stayed one more extra day in Legatitlan before they went to Antigua. But I, I went. I said, you, I found. I helped them find a way for them to get to Antigua. But I came on a shuttle from Legatitlan to Antigua, and then I switched shuttles and went from Antigua to. Um, to the city and I was on the shuttle with just three people three other tourists I guess you could say they were leaving Lake Atilan two were these two young as girls from New York and they were probably in their early to mid 20s and they just loved Guatemala I think it was their first time they had come to Antigua they went to Lake Atilan they did a volcano hike 
Um, and they were just talking about how much they loved uh, Guatemala. And particularly, this is something I hear from everybody that I've brought, everybody I've met, kind of something you said. As much as the beautiful landscapes that are here, as much as all the great natural beauty Guatemala has to offer, people always say one common thing, the people. The they people. love the Guatemalan people. And so the girls were talking about that. And these two girls actually spent a lot of time in Israel, too. Um, and so they were telling me about their experiences in Israel. We, had, we exchanged some great stories. There's a, there was a, somebody else on the, on the shuttle with us, and he was actually a young adult Guatemalan man. He was, I don't know, probably 25 or 28 or something like that. And he actually grew up in Antigua, and he was taking the shuttle. He, was, he just went to Lake Atilan for a fun weekend in Lake Atilan as well, was coming back on the shuttle by himself. And, you know, you could tell he, he, he lived a pretty, you know, maybe middle-class lifestyle here. Uh, you know, he didn't come from any ad- adverse situations from anything I could tell. Just sort of a, a normal middle-class lifestyle. Uh, he's, he's, he's done a, he was being a tour guide recently in Costa Rica. So he found a, a job. So he had this kind of interesting life. But as he heard us talking about Guatemala and the Guatemalan people, he chimed in and he said, you know, a lot of people here have a tough life, but there's one thing. They have so much hope that things are going to get better. They always have hope that things are going to get better. And I think that's kind of I was I was struck by that because I thought, you know, I think that's that's right based on my experience. It's like because you see people in some of these little villages that are so poor. Yeah. yeah. And they don't have much, but they're so happy to see you. Yes. They're so happy. They're they have such joy and smile on their faces. And when I heard this guy say, you know, they have a tough life here, they're oh we were we were commenting about how hard of workers Guatemalans are. Yeah. Any Guatemalan you've ever encountered, whether it's been in Florida or here or wherever. But he said, Yeah, they always have so much hope uh, that things are gonna get be, things are gonna be better. Yeah. So I thought that was great. And, and on that note, I always said to Uwe, I think that what will change Guatemala is foreigners. Uh, it's Guatemalans that live aboard come back. And I think they can change their country. And uh, Francisco was introduced to a guy that walked into the, this cigar shop uh, way back when. And I said, oh, my God, he's so good looking and he's so well dressed. So he sat down. We had a talk. And his name is Benjamin Fossen, and he says to me, I'm an adoptee, and I'm coming back to help Guatemala. I said, where were you? I've been waiting for you. I want this to happen, because there is so much opportunity here. They have so little help, and somebody like him could really make a difference in this country, and it will happen. I can sense it. Yeah, and it's funny. You know, I meet so many people here at Antigua Cigars. It's just fascinating. And uh, in December of this past year, I was here, and um, the, the the young man you're talking about was not here, but you told me about him. Yes. And so you connected us, and uh, we've since met, and we're going to uh, the next episode of this podcast. We'll feature him right here at Antigua Cigars. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, we'll, we'll hear Ben Fawson's story uh, on the next episode. Uh, but this has been such a great place uh, to just, honestly, I come here for you two now as well. Just, uh, just and even, it, it, there's been times I've been in Antigua where maybe you were traveling on vacation or something. and Yeah, he would it, send me WhatsApp, we're on the boat, I'm buying off the cigars. Yeah, and sometimes <laughs> this seat is empty and I say, I can't sit there, that's Uwe's seat. <laughs> Uh, right now, if this place is full. Someone, someone's gonna sit there. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's on that two-way seat. I'm not gonna sit there. Um, but it, but it was odd. The first time I came here, I think it was even next two times I had come here. 
and you guys weren't here. Yeah. Something felt empty about the yeah. place, but you guys bring a lot of uh, joy uh, to, to me and to many people here in Antigua, uh-huh. uh, to our friend Bob Rubin, who yes. loves here. And Bob made an amazing connection the first time we were here. Oh, yeah. Um, with, that was uh, precious. Yeah, with a little boy here that... Um, so so and his family so it was a great time here um uh it's always a great time here at antigua cigars uh and so uh yeah so, so i i just wanted to say thank you and if you guys are ever in antigua uh especially for cigar smokers you got to come by antigua cigars and say hello to uve and lynn and i always bring back so many of their cigar you know there's i, I one of the reasons i also run out of your cigar so much you give them away i do give them away <laughs> and uh and so uh so I don't smoke them all, but I do smoke most of them. And uh, and sometimes also, uh, Bob's, Bob sends me, you know, uh, hey, pick up some uh, some Antigua cigars for me. So um, my suitcase is loaded, and uh, luckily they, nobody ever thinks there's something illegal. They're just cigars, because <laughs> I would be sad if they were confiscated somehow. Uh, but it's great, and it's, uh, it's always great to be here. I feel like I was going to ask you one more question. Let me see. We talked about uh, the, uh, the club members. We talked about... Uh, your perception of Guatemala, and oh, I know, I had one more question for you, and and I, I hinted at it a little while ago, but I mentioned the expats. So there's so many um, foreigners like yourself that open businesses here in Guatemala, and a lot of them are restaurants. A lot of you know your cigars, and may, maybe there's some other things. You know, wait, well, Alex's father, uh, Cayoba Doors, he has a huge manufacturing facility that he employs hundreds of Guatemalans to make these amazing wooden doors, very artisan craft. Uh, but what, what would you say? I mean, it's, it's, so the, the one thing I asked you was about moving here and maybe a lot of people retire here. And I think a lot of your club members are retirees that they, they're just retired. They may, they probably don't do any work. Maybe they get involved with a charity or something like that. But, but uh, what would you say about people who move here and start a business here? That's even something more incredible some of them late in their life, but um, what is what is the uh, environment here for people who maybe want to move here and start a business? Well, it, it's it's uh, not complicated. It takes time to to the laws are very similar, like in in the countries up north, like in our countries, and um, it's it's all very well regulated to open up a company. Um, you contact a lawyer and it takes about $1,500 and you have a company. And the time frame might be, can be anywhere from two to five months and, and you're in business. Like, uh, and, and there are no, no great obstacles. Like, um, and the same as purchase of properties, it's, it's a possible and there's a Catasta office and it's all very organized and, and controlled. And so I imagine, um, and you know, if this is too personal, let me know, but it, yeah, you, you own some real estate here as well, right? Because you have a home. Yeah. And I don't know, is, do you rent this space or do you own this space? This, this space is rented. This place is, is yeah. rented. So um, Lynn, I think uh, this is not your primary job because you're here, you're running Antigua Cigars a lot, but I, I feel like you do, you, have, you do help some people with real estate as well if they want yeah, well, uh, I'm not a realtor, but uh, what I have discovered is that there are elderly people that have family that don't live here, and um, they're at the end of their lives, and there's all kinds of things that happens. The kids come here, they don't speak the language, and they have to figure out the estate and all of that. So I've been helping 
about three or four families about the passing on of these things. Mm. So I have a friend lawyer that helped us a lot with making sure that if something happens to us, our children can get the stuff without too much issues. So I'm more of a facilitator, which had to do with what I was doing in Canada as well when I was a lobbyist, the same type of things. You just look at the laws, you look at what the opportunities are and how do these children can get this and work it out. And being in business allowed me to discover a lot, a lot of how things functions here. Mm-hmm. So I was able to be of good, cons- uh, what's the word in English? Bon conseil. Uh, to help them out, figure yeah. it out. Yeah. To, 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 to do kind of those things. Type. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's what I do. And the, the other thing is people might say, how can people, especially the retirees I mentioned, come here um, when the United States or Canada or whatever uh, seem, um, at least by perception, to have such great medical care, uh, when you're in your elder age, a lot of times you want to be close to hospitals and places you can get good doctor. How is the health care here that, uh, that people can get when they, when, they, um, when they need it? Well, we're Canadians, so we have uh, social health care back home. But we, we were... Um, we feel that the healthcare we can get here is as good as what we can get in Canada. Obviously, we pay for it. You pay as you go. We haven't paid insurance for the last 20 years, so we have accumulated a safety net for when we need insurance, when we need care. But the other thing also is when you live here, your level of stress go down. What you eat, what you eat, what lo que comes is better. So you have a better life, so you're less susceptible to being sick. Therefore, uh, you don't have to worry so much about the, the healthcare. But obviously, if you do, do it late in years, you might already have issues. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of finding out how you can work it out with that. But the life is so much better. We have people helping us at the house. We have help. It's easy to, to buy help and and uh, you can have a good life we have common friends you and i francisco where the father and the mother were in the health crisis and the daughter took care of them with a team and it all worked out and for them it was something like three thousand dollars a month to have them taking care of all the time if she would have been in boston where her family was from is was more in the vicinity of fifteen thousand dollars so their money went further here and they had all the specialists they needed to be taken care at home and die at home and all of those things that you have here and the climate and it's easy for them to to be inside outside and they have a better lifestyle than one of those uh, home for elderly yeah well those are all that's 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 a really great uh, way to do it so i'm going to end this podcast with a couple of just last fun questions about cigars lynn you mentioned already your first cigar experience uh, in, in havana yes learning from a roller what a cool first cigar experience i mean yeah it uh, gets you hooked for life yeah <laughs> uve how did you first get into cigars well um I did a lot of sports and I didn't smoke much in Germany at all. And uh, when I was in Canada and I got a little bit established and I had a little bit of 
disposable income. Uh, I, I, I had a friend who was smoking cigars, and he said, uh, and I never liked cigarettes, I never smoked cigarettes, and I used to smoke a pipe, because in engineering school it was very cool in 1968 to smoke a pipe, you know, <laughs> so, and, um, well, and, and through him, um, you, you, we, we, we started, I went with him, and so a friend introduced me to that, and, and got hooked. Okay, last question, um, and, and I know you have lots of friends in the cigar industry, so I hope uh, we're not hurting anyone's feelings, but I want to know, other than Antigua Cigars, what is your, like, go-to cigar? Well, the really go-to cigar is always my house brand. It's, and yeah. I'm not trying to advertise it, but because... Okay, so other than your house brand. Because of the price. Yeah. And, Same here. And, <laughs> and we, our club members, I, to, to develop those, we had a group of guys. Like I once, three club members, hey, let's go for a week to Honduras. Let's uh, make two new cigars and jump in the truck and drive to Honduras, uh, pick the factory and sit there and, and they blend different things for us and we smoked and smoked and then everybody has a little sheet and said, okay, this one was a little too strong or this was this and this. Uh, and then we decided that's it. That's how that Nicaraguan came all about. Yeah, well, it's really great. So, okay, I got a follow-up to that. What's, your, what's the cigar that you really like that you kind of, when you splurge and you go outside your house brand, that you really, really like? What I really like? Um, hmm. At the moment, it changes. Yeah, it changes, sure. But at the moment, it's the 149 from Placencia. Nice. 149 from Placencia. I would like to add that when we started the business, we got in the truck, we had $5,000 in our pocket, and we went to Nicaragua. Our first encounter was with Nestor Placencia the kingpin of cigars in Nicaragua. So we are religiously tied to the family. We know them. We like them. They're good people. They have helped us maintain our business through thick and thin. The same for Rocky Patel, his group, his people. Uh, these are friends. This is not a business relationship, and we've been at it for 20 years, and they have helped us make it. So, obviously, we like those brands, but we had great experience with my father. We had great experience with uh, A.J. Fernandez. We have great experience with Drew Estate. Um, we know Oscar, Leaf by Oscar. We know Oscar personally. So... All of them are part of our families, really. That's amazing. Well, they always, some, somebody always said, you know, when you're trying to figure out what is the best cigar, the answer to that is the one that you like to smoke the most. Yes. So, there you it. go. That's well, I like to smoke a lot of cigars here at Antigua Cigars in Antigua, Guatemala. And I just wanted to say it's been a pleasure to finally have one of our conversations recorded. Uh, so, Lynn <laughs> and Uve, thank you so much for welcoming so many people, including myself, into your family here. Thanks for being Agents of Innovation, and thanks for being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. And of course, for your listeners and viewers, like, subscribe, comment. We want to hear what you think about this. So thanks so much for listening and watching. <laughs>